And we're live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Jared the Apocalypse, Nerd Wallace for Podcast at Ground Zero, episode 25, uh, 25, 29, our top five post-apocalyptic books. Uh, as usual, we have Adam Bond Glancy and special guest host uh, with us tonight, Clint Staples. Uh, Clint has been with us before. Uh, you were on the transportation, right? Or is it shelter? Uh, sure. No, it was transportation. Transportation. All right. So on the road again. And That's we are also we are also going to have uh, William T. Thrasher with us, uh, but uh, something happened on his end, so we couldn't make it. So there'll just be the three of us uh, instead of four. He's, but... he's welcome in the bunker if he shows up midway through. Oh, of course. He's, well, he's... if you're seeing this, just follow the links. Come to the page. We'll let you in. So. Episode 29, yay! You know, we've been uh, been pretty consistent with getting two a month, which is what I always wanted to do. And uh, so 29 episodes, so next episode will be our 30th episode. Yay! And um, It's time for our show to have a midlife crisis. No, wait, that's 40. That's 40. Okay. So, so and... Uh, anyway. Well, I guess, you know, we have to know what number 30 is going to have to be. Uh, We're going to have to do Logan's Run. We're gonna have to do Logan's Run, the TV show, the comic book, the the, the movie. Or the, 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 we're gonna have to do Logan's Run. There's no choice. Uh, yeah, you're right. Fuck, I'm not gonna have time to uh, go through the TV series because we got Gen Con coming up. So, uh, I'll do it. I'll do what I can. <laughs> so we'll see. Put, put it on some dice. Play it on device. Play it on the plane. You know. Uh, I wish I could try, rip it down on my iPad, but uh, the only thing I've been watching recently on the iPad is I got. Uh, I was up in, uh, last week, I was up uh, in Dayton, Ohio for work, so I had uh, True Detective, so I re-watched re True Detective again, so. Oh, yeah. What a great fucking show. Anyway, so that's, uh, I guess it could be apocalyptic itself, so. All right, so uh, top five, you know, so we're, we're going to do our top five favorites. Oh, uh, wait, uh, plugs, plugging products. Okay. Because uh, last time, Clint had some post-apocalyptic murderous sure. robots to, to plug. Oh yes, uh, how are those going? Uh, they're coming along. I am uh, slowly working on uh, some alternate heads for some of the Raiders, which were sort of uh, mechanical Velociraptor-like critters. So uh, they, uh, the initial one had has a head that's uh, essentially a chainsaw with sensors on it. So uh, <laughs> of other um, e hopefully equally bloodthirsty uh, mechanical heads for them to uh, swap them out a little bit. Uh, they're intended to be sort of small that you field as a unit uh, if you were to game with them, so it's nice to have a little bit of variation. Speaking of horrible things that chew stuff up, i got to throw this out. Um, maybe we'll link this on the page. If, uh, somebody posted just today this picture of some ground-clearing device that is literally like on the end of a, of, a, of a crane or the end of an armature like you'd expect a backhoe or a steam shovel, this giant device you just put at the top of the tree and it just eats the tree straight down. It's like a wood chipper on an arm. So for God's sakes, Clint, you got to have robots with <laughs> wood chippers on the ends of their arms or a long neck that just drops down on people and leaves nothing but a big pile of goo and a pair of shoes. Just right down to the shoes. I think, I think I've seen those before in real life. Yeah. So they, they just showed that. So your, your your chainsaw head idea just went right there for me. Cool. Uh, I've got to announce that i got a Kickstarter going for those of you who are uh, Call of Cthulhu fans. Yes. We started it. Um, What's that? 
Uh, August 1st, we started the Kickstarter for Horrors of War. Horrors of War, A Covenant with Death. Uh, it's a World War One scenario and source book for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Um, there'll be eight scenarios, source book material, rules for air-to-air -air combat, uh, equipment uh, equipment descriptions, weapons descriptions, um, a glossary, a timeline. Uh, you can find it over at Kickstarter. It's been up for about, this is about day four. We're $9,000 into a $16,000 goal, so we're well on our way. Um, we're still uh, wrestling around with some more um, possible... Uh, stretch goals that are going to get posted this week because we're starting to get to the point where stretch goals will be pertinent. They're going to actually exceed the original backing amount. And uh, we'll be hopefully putting in some new rewards. Um, we're hoping to be able to get a, a affirmative answer from all of our artists so that we'll know who's willing to include the uh, visage of one of the backers as uh, you know a character in one of the illustrations. Probably demonstrating how the monster works in some fashion. We, we already sold out all the names where people could give out some money and uh, at a level of $100, an NPC in the game has your name. So uh, naturally, we were descended upon by an enormous number of Scandinavians, which was a bit of a shock because Scandinavia is the one country not involved in World War One. So <laughs> we were like, wow, no Germans bought into this? No, no Brits? Australians, God damn it! All right, but um, don't worry, you Scandinavian bastards. We, 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 there are places to, there are places to put your icy hearts in this, in this book. So don't worry, we will find a place for you. Um, Minnesota. Exactly. I can always go with the immigrant option. Yeah. Uh, plus, there's a great, uh, there's a great couple of uh, cultist options that would actually work out very nicely, depending on what they're in the mood for. Uh, my favorite little bit of tidbit is I got a scenario set in Persia during World War One, and my favorite little piece of uh, history nonsense is that the Shah of Iran prior to World War One, the constabulary with which he is sort of gendarme, his armed police force that uh, watched over the country was a was a mercenary force recruited in Sweden. So Swedish mercenaries in Persia working for the Shah. Uh, the British invade Persia. Uh, they uh, disband the Swedish gendarme <laughs> because their word is too German. So, aha! I've got Swedes in Persia. Top that for obscure. So, so please go check it out on Kickstarter. We'll throw a link into it at. Uh, already, already done. Okay, and uh, let's see. And that's it. That's that's my uh, big project for the day. Uh, it's a sixty-day Kickstarter rather than a thirty. Because that's going to give us time to try and work out um, some of the rewards levels. I'm still trying to convince my co-author that PDFs are not a tool of the devil. And if I can hmm. it, Let me guess who that is. Yeah. And if hmm. I can convince him otherwise, uh, then we will offer a full PDF of the book. Is um, it is his initials JC? But uh, Yes, that, that's very close. Very close. Uh, well, you know, well, PDFs are the work of the devil, so, yeah. you know. So once we get, if we can make that happen, then we will definitely expand that option for a lot of people. And that has been a big deal. Um, there are a lot of, uh, despite the fact that we have a thing where at the higher reward levels, at about $60, you go for that reward level, your shipping's included, and you get extra stuff. So if you wanted to buy the book and ship it anywhere in the world, it's $60. 
But if you want to go to the $60 level and have shipping included, you also get uh, 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 the design notes, the playtest notes, how games ran uh, during playtest. You also get a, uh, a bunch of uh, pre-generated characters to run the scenarios with. So I was kind of hoping that would sugar it up for some of our uh, foreigners, but uh, the problem is not so much shipping. The problem is the value-added tax. Those guys get nailed for 20 to 30 extra dollars on a $40 book coming into the country. Well, it sucks to be foreigners because that's what that, it's like. The, it's UPS. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't mean it like that, but, you know, no. Yeah. Uh, UPS and FedEx and the mail, they, it's, it's, it's just expensive to ship it, period. Not, yeah. even, not even just the additional tax, you know. So that's why you see a lot of these Kickstarters now have Euro-friendly Kickstarters where they have like a distribution center when whatever, you know, overseas, so it doesn't it's not as costly. Well, we offered a, a, a retailer option so that retailers wouldn't feel left out for this. And at least one German retailer with an American reshipper has contacted us and we're like, sure, you can you could you know, we'll send it to the American uh, reshipper, but that's it. You know. But yeah. they they seem to be okay with that. They, they, they were happy, and certainly I hope we get. I hope we get more of those. I hope we get more foreign retailers, particularly in Europe, because the, the, there's so much European material in this first book. Cool. Well, the, the only thing I got to plug is, uh, well, uh, of course I don't have one handy. That's figures. A uh, couple new products I did for Dig on Industries again, Lovecraft stuff. I did. Uh, I did a new Cthulhu pendant, uh, which will be at uh, Gen Con. It's also available on the website right now. Plus, I have I got the new the new signs for the show. Uh, it's not on the website yet because they're on their way to Brian and Gwen. As I got the Welcome to Arkham signs. Very sexy. Very sexy. Make some noise so the camera looks at the sign. Hey, camera! Look at me! Look at me! Yay! It's the same as the other uh, same plastic. Thick, it's like a thick, it's a thick polyurethane, uh, 14 by 12, you know, four holes to hang it up. So, you know, so welcome to Arkham Signs. Uh, like I'll have that new for uh, Gen Con, and they'll be up on the uh, Dagon Industries web store in the near future. Again. Oh, you're yeah. not, you're not bringing any of those home. <laughs> I don't know how many you're bringing, but you're not going to bring many. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Well, I brought 20 of the zombie shelter signs last year and sold 20 of those. Mm -hmm. So, again, I don't like to overbring because, you know, I, I hate bringing it all back, but I'm going to bring at least a couple of dozen, you know, because we say that, oh, you're not bringing any of those home. It's like we didn't sell a fucking single one. You know, that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that whatever price we pay, somebody will go, really, that much? Yeah. Is well, it really that much? Yes. Well, yes, it really is. But it's a lot more It's a lot more themed, a lot more Lovecraftian, and, of course, it's, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you got the cross, you know, maybe a little crossover. People who are like, oh, Batman, Bat Arkham, Batman? You know, so maybe we'll get Yes, the answer is yes, it's Batman. But if you, but if you buy it because you think it's Arkham Asylum, you have to pay $5 more. Yeah, of course. And we will take it from you. So that's a... Uh, that, my Arkham Planetarium scrubs at the, in the booth? If you would please. like. Does so, that mean my Arkham Sanitarium scrubs in the booth? Absolutely. Okay. So that would be great. So uh, that's our, our side, not show business uh, stuff. But uh, I don't really have anything to post about anything. I've, I've been off the radar for a while. I haven't really seen anything that interesting. Uh, the only thing I've done is 
I finally started playing uh, season two of the Walking Dead game by you know Skybound. You know, so I've got through the first. I had to replay the entire first season <laughs> because I lost my save. So I had to play this, play the whole thing for my choices. Then I played 400 days. Then I played, started playing season two. Uh, you know, so they only have four chapters out. So I blew through those uh, recently, last week or so, and it's the second season is just, just as good as the first one. You know, that's it's, good to hear. I haven't picked those up yet, but. Um... Everybody keeps giving it the thumbs up. Oh, it's it's a it's a great game. It's a decision making game. You know, it's kind of you know, choose your own adventure. You know, what decisions you make uh, come back later. So it's a uh, it's pretty good. You know, I was kind of dubious about oh, uh, Clementine's going to be a protagonist. I didn't know how that was going to turn out. You know, but uh, it's good. It's it's just as good as the first one. If not, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff in that one. So it's uh, so I've been playing that. So that's pretty cool. All right, I, I got no apocalypse either. Sorry, are these the Telltale games one we're talking about? Yes, or? yes, yeah. Telltale games, Telltale games, yes. Okay, uh, I played the demo of the first season, but I haven't had a chance to do any more than that. But it was a load of fun. So. Oh, it's it's really good. It's they're really good. What'd you play them on the on the computer, uh, Xbox? Oh, the Xbox uh, 360. So. Okay, okay, cool. Oh, you got you got a 360, Clint? Yep. Yeah. Are yeah. uh, are you online uh, like a gold member? Uh, no. Used to be gold. No, I'm just stupid silver. So. Oh, okay. All right, well, I'll say, oh, you should send me a friend request, but uh, never mind. So. <laughs> Don't they do that anymore? I thought you could still do that with silver. Well, you, you can do that, but we can't play online. So. Oh, okay. But we'll do it anyway. I still want to be your buddy on the Xbox, Clint. So. Yeah, because, because we still have we still have um, zombies to kill in Left 4 Dead 2. I've right. checked. I've checked recently. There's still zombies in the game. Is there? I, th I thought we I thought we killed them all. We killed a lot of zombies, but I'm, I've gone back and checked, and they they seem to have uh, come back in from somewhere else and filled the game up again. Weird how that works. You know, yeah. you know th those zombies are a dime a dozen. I'm looking for the guy who's supplying the dimes. You know. <laughs> yeah, we just need to pop that guy in the head. Exactly, and then our problems are solved. Left for dead. So, thank. Uh, I, I I stole that quote from. Um, uh, what oh, what the hell is his name? It was a novelty song from Doctor Mento. It was um, the guy was a uh, pencil neck geek. Uh, oh I, yeah, I'm familiar with pencil neck geek, but wow! It's from, I tell you what, here's what we're gonna do. Let's it's, start. The, it's let's, deep. Let's start the subject. Clint what? goes first. What? <laughs> Clint goes first. To while Clint is loaded. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're gonna. You, you have to find out where that song came from. Wait, we're going to talk about what we're supposed to talk about on the podcast? What are you, nuts? It's, <laughs> but, just, a uh, it's just a suggestion. Yeah, it's, um, anyway, all right, so what we're talking about, our top five favorite books, okay? Um, what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of go around, like we'll start with Clint, then go to Scott, then go to me. You know, um, I kind of loosely put mine in a top five order. You know, it's like, it's, you know, I can't, I mean, I can probably say, well, this is my absolute fa favorite, but I just kind of put them in a loose top five order, so... Uh, just, just start going. Just say, okay, hey, this is my, this is my story. This, you know, the author, the book, and you know, talk about it a little bit. We'll all talk about it like we always do. I so. really want to hear what Clint's got because he's scared. He surprised the hell out of us the last time we had him on. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's on, on, uh, on the road. So, I say yeah. he goes first. That's why. First of all, like a countdown, like they always do on the like 
top top 100 machine guns of all time on the military chart? <laughs> are we doing like 199.98, or are we doing one and, and going up to five? I, I like the idea of going five. Everyone does five. Everyone does four. Everyone does three. Okay, sounds does three. Yeah. yeah, sounds fine. If we, okay. if we have some, if we have some cool graphics, we could do it like the military chat too. But we're not that. <laughs> but we're, we're not that sophisticated. Nice post-apocalyptic explosions or something like that. Get a little Michael Bay action going on. Michael Bay explosions. Yeah. <laughs> so. cool. All right, sir, you're first. Okay, I want to preface this with uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, when I was prepping for, for this show after, uh, after Jared asked me, I realized that a lot of the fiction that I read is actually not particularly post-apocalyptic. So I had to sort of stretch a little bit. Uh, I, I read a little bit of the Deathland stuff a million years ago, but I never really got into uh, reading post-apocalyptic stuff. I really... Uh, I did some computer gaming in it, and I watched a fair number of movies, but actually reading it, I had to sort of uh, uh, hunt and peck a little bit. So having said that, um, I guess my number five uh, may not be a huge surprise, but uh, it's Dies the Fire by S.M. Sterling. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh. Boo, I'm kicking it off. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> oh wow! You just stuck a poop-covered finger right in Jared's eye. Just I know right it. His eye. Eye. Okay, it's please. The bicycles. It's the bicycles going okay. back to the, the transportation episode. Remember yeah. when I was talking about bicycles? Yeah. That's the only place I've ever seen anybody use bicycles in the post-apocalypse. That's that's true. So that's very true. You know, um, as far as the rest of it, it's kind of ham-handed, and the SCA wins everything. Uh, <laughs> that's what they don't. Um, but, you know, uh, he knows his audience and uh, stuff like that, and it's a pretty good heartstring-pulling kind of thing. Uh, but it's mostly the bicycles that it was a lot of fun. All right. So that's All right. my number five, and I am now going to take a big bite of my shit sandwich. <laughs> no, no, no. That's why we're all different people and have different tastes. It's just, to, like I said, to me, it's just. And we talked about that book in the past, and I said it was SCA porn. And uh, I don't think. Of, it, no, 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 no. It's not SCA porn because I've seen SCA porn. And uh, ew, oh, ew, ew. <laughs> Please don't give Jared PTSD. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's let's get back to something nice and uh, that we can all agree is nice and, and and wonderful and fuzzy like radiation and mutation and nuclear fireballs. Okay, um, so I'll, I will. Speaking of radiation and nuclear fireballs, I'll go with um, my number five. Uh, Pat Frank's uh, Alas Babylon. Uh, this was written in 1959, just before the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, and because it was set in Florida, um, it was required reading in my high school. Uh, as when we were, it was 1980, 19, early 1980s, I graduated in 84, so somewhere in there, probably 82 or 83, we had to read uh, Pat Frank's The Last Babylon. We also had to read uh, By the Waters of Babylon, which, uh, which, is, a, which is a far future. Yeah, um, I've read that one too. 
yeah, uh, short story. But um, uh, and there's a point where I was like, huh, does everything post-apocalyptic have to have the word Babylon in it? But okay. But uh, Alaska Babylon is about a small town community in um, uh, uh, in Florida surviving the nuclear uh, war, a limited nuclear war, at least by our 1980s standards. It's a limited nuclear war. Um, and uh, the sort of things that happened that reorder society, um, sort of changes that take place, uh, trying to get a hold of the, the basic, you know, the, the basic uh, necessities of life, security, food, things like that. Um, it's a little dated in some ways, but it was one of the very first post-apocalyptic things I ever read, and it was intended to be completely serious. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no over-the-top action. There's action, but it's one of these things where the one time there's a shootout with some uh, bandits who are working their area, there's an exchange of gunfire, and when they're done, you know, sure, all the bandits are shot up, uh, half of them are gone, and the rest is surrendering, but, you know, characters that you were enjoying and getting to, you know, know, they're dead as a hammer, too. You know, there's, there, it's, it's a very gritty, very nasty vision of the, of, of the war, uh, and radiation is a very nasty part of the story. Yeah. Fallout radiation. So it's it's extremely well done, I thought, and very. It's not over the top pulp action like the Deathlands or uh, the Survivalist or any of those kind of things, uh, and I, I highly recommend it. Well, the survive the Survivalist is uh, gun for it. So yeah, um, yes, it is. No, I, I read I, I only read uh, Last Babylon a couple of years ago, and I did I didn't read it in high school. They didn't make us read that, but some of some of the classes read it. Uh, ours for some reason didn't. So I only read it a couple of years ago, and it, it, again, it is. It, you're right. It is very dated, but it is an excellent book. It is very. It is a very good book. I say. So, uh, my top five. All right. Uh, I'm gonna put my top five. Um, I'm gonna say my number five because I have a stack here. Is Scott may have read this one by Sterling E. Uh, Lanner, Hiro's Journey. Oh, uh, you bastard. Oh, is that on your list, Clint? My list, yes. Oh, yay! I, I like this. I thought that would be mine because it's Canadian and everything, eh? <laughs> well, no, I, I, which which reminds us, we should point out that 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 collection of Canadian apocalypse stories has, I think, that's finally been released. Oh yes, uh, yeah, I think it came out last month, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I, all I can remember is, um, damn it, I can't remember the publisher. I'm a, I'm a bad friend. I'll look it up, but they, uh, that book is out. So, moving on with your top five. Oh, yay. Okay, so this is my original copy from high school. It's uh, got the old book smell. Um, yes, it is Canadian. Uh, I mean, they didn't have any toques in here, so I, or playing hockey, so I, I don't know I don't know how you can identify this Canadian. Clip. He's a mutant moose. He's a mutant He's got a moose, man. He's got a mutant moose. Of course it's Canadian. Uh, I, think, I think it's called a morse. I think it was called a morse. But, uh, it's right, a morse. So it is a morse. So... It is set, you know, based in Canada. It starts with 5,000 years in the future after the apocalypse. The society has a chance to really decline and start to build. Uh, the guy's a, a, a priest assassin. He's like, you know, this professional soldier, but he's part of the church because the church is still around. He's a telepath. Uh, the moose is telepathic. He has a bear companion. The book is very, it's very gamma world. Okay, because, because, because you have, you know, I think it's the Brotherhood of the Unclean, 
you know, they're trying to destroy all humans. There's a lot of mutants. Uh, yeah. There's there's like basically it's like a traveler's guide through North America, talking about the swamps, this that. So it's kind of like the Gamworld campaign you wanted to play right here in uh, Hyro's Journey. There's also a second book, uh, The Unforsaken Hyro, which came out. But uh, it's a very good book. Again, read as a teenager. Uh, I haven't read in a long time, but yeah, it probably you know. I like the content. I like the characters. You know, it's it, it, there's not a lot of gray area in the book because it's like he could do anything. It's like either fail or not or, or succeed. So uh, the writing isn't you know super sophisticated. You know that being said, but it's still a very good book, very good uh, you know game worldish type of campaign. So Hiro's Journey will be my number five on tonight's list. And my number two, incidentally. Okay, well, we'll circle back to that. And also, by the way, we were talking before is Pencil Dead Geek, song by classy Fred Blassie. <laughs> okay, and so the song you were thinking of by classy Fred Blassie was... Pencil Dead Geek. There, there's, okay. there's, there's a part towards the end of this, the song where he's just kind of talking. He's like, they say these geeks come a dime a dozen. I'm looking for the guy who's supplying the dimes. So, yes. Yeah, so, so I, I dug I dug real deep in my uh, geekery right there. So, all right, all right. So that's our first round of top five. One, two, three, four, five. So we are gonna move now on to number four. Explosions. Number four. Yay. <laughs> so we're gonna go to Clint too. What is your number four? Okay. Uh, you said that uh, this was open to short stories as well. Yes. 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 Short uh, stories, novellas, uh, yeah. books. One of my absolute faves uh, uh, for when I read it is a short story on uh, Nightmare Online magazine called 1031 Bloody Mary. And the, uh, uh, the premise is that it's a magical apocalypse in which uh, the world um, goes to hell on Halloween night. And you've got uh, what are normally the, uh, um, the, the stupid costumes uh, and such become the monsters. And uh, houses suddenly become haunted. Monsters prowl everywhere. And it's a, it is a very grim, bloody, um, uh, post-apocalyptic landscape following this skinny kid who can't get enough to eat uh, until he meets a, uh, our favorite psychopath, Bloody Mary. So it's loads of fun. Wow. That's excellent. Actually, see, and again... That's why I want to get. I like to get other people on the show to give different perspectives. Because me personally, I would, you know, I'm more of a nuclear, biological, like you know, magical right. apocalypses. That's not me. But you know what? It is a valid genre, just like anything else that we all like. So it's good to get other people on the show to get these other perspectives because things we may not talk about. Because again, I don't know everything. I haven't read everything. I don't know everything. Neither does Scott. So. Again, thank you for bringing something to the plate that we would not have brought, and we brought it out there. Do you know who the author is, and do you know where? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, it's uh, the author's name is Norman Partridge. Okay. Um, and uh, the I'm just looking to see. It's in the. Uh, sorry, they don't have them listed in their back catalog, online back catalog, by. Okay. But you can search the the online magazine for it. Uh, anyway, either by 1031 Bloody Mary or Norman Partridge. So it shouldn't be that hard to find. 
Good, good. Now, uh, that's my main concern is is some of these, you know, for something that obscure, we got to help people find it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's it shouldn't be that hard to find. I found it in uh, about a thirty second search. So, uh, uh, but the nice thing is that it, like I know Jared is a big fan of uh, very bleak um, situations, and this is a very bleak situation. But it uses uh, very Halloweeny kids tropes in a in a very uh, twisted and bleak way, which is a nice ju sort of juxtaposition oh. to use. 25-letter word. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a completely different take, and it's like, oh, no, that's not a bad idea, because all those things that you think are just, oh, it's all for fun. Oh, my God, this Superman mask and jumpsuit is, like, eating me or something. You know, like, you know, <laughs> you know whatever, you know, or some guy in, like, a, you know, remember the old 70s Halloween costumes were just like, look, I'm Superman, and on my smock they give me is like got a picture of Superman so you know I'm Superman you know oh, I hated those costumes as a kid where you get the shitty mask and then like you're wearing a poster yep how is this a costume god damn it I've, oh, I think, been, I, I've I think, been ripped off I think I think I could find in my, there's a stack in my closet of old photos my mom had I think there's one of me in an underdog costume like that <laughs> <laughs> So I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you win. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to find that for Throwback Thursday this week. See if I can dig one, dig that bitch up, you know. <laughs> Holy shit! All right, all right. Number Scott, four. Number four for Scott. Number four. All right. Now this was a tough one for me because, um, uh, but I decided to go with John Wyndham's "The Day of the Triffids." Very and I've got this rather old copy here of, uh, of the Day of the Triffids. Let's go this way. And um, it, this this book represented my first foray into British apocalypse, right? And the Brits do a damn fine apocalypse. Um, Wyndham's the first guy, but later I came across uh, John Christopher's uh, uh, No Blade of Grass. And uh, his the long winter, um, and uh, oops, the long winter, and uh, I was it was kind of a toss up which one of these three I would pick as my number four, but Triffids has has been around the block. Triffids has been a movie. It's been two TV series now. It's been a comic book. Um, Triffids has got some mileage on it, and and it was the first one I read. Uh, as oh. far as my intro to British Apocalypse. And let me add to your uh, collection of uh, what Day of the Triffids is going to be. Big Finish Productions, who just did The Survivors Season 1, next year they're doing The Triffids, not retelling the original story, a continuation after the story, you know, where they go to the Isle of Wight, so it's going to continue on after that. And they're doing okay. The, so they're doing the, they're doing the audio books, uh, for a continuation of Day of the Triffids. Very nice. Very nice. So Triffids, uh, for those, I mean, I don't know, I'll say it for those who don't know, Triffids is a combination of two apocalypses. Number spoiler one, alert! Oh, no. Spoiler alert. One, number one, it's the blindness apocalypse, which was so completely fucked up that the only thing between us and being walking fertilizer are our fucking eyeballs. And when, this, when the population loses that, it's it's horrifying. Not the least of which because, um, unlike everyone getting sick and dying, it's this very slow 
there's plenty of time to panic. There's plenty of time to be violent and weird um, and, uh, and, and pathetic simultaneously. Um, and uh, despite losing their eyes, the people around you still have their smarts and still have their skills. Uh, and can be, you know, and if you're one of the sighted, you know, how do you handle this disaster? And then on top of that, the Triffids show up who, back in what, the, the book's from 1957, I think? Uh, let me you're see. Right around there. Yeah, uh, 1951, ladies and gentlemen. Way back then, the Triffids are the new biodiesel, a plant that we've created to harvest an oil that's going to replace OPEC and replace petroleum and you know, all that kind of good stuff, uh, something that we've created uh, to deal with our, our petrochemical addiction is going to croil, escape from the farms they're raised on and come out and give us newly blinded meat bags, sightless meat bags, a run for our money as far as who's going to be in charge of the planet. Uh, and it is, it is, it was absolutely terrifying. Uh, it was never played for laughs. It was never goofy. You never think of the plants as goofy or weird. They're fully realized as a monster um, with its rules and its, uh, its, 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 its weaknesses and its strengths, like a vampire or a werewolf or any other mythological creature that's well-developed. Triffids get my number four spot. And, and uh, the BBC made a good uh, miniseries out of it as well. In the yeah. 80s. Now, they redid it. They redid it recently, and all the Triffids were CGI. Of that course. Was, that was maybe my biggest grognard complaint was, oh, no, the cartoons are attacking. But that 1980s one is Golden. choice. Golden. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, I got it I got it on my shelf. It's go, It's great. So, so Scott's number four, uh, Day of the Triffids, good choice. <clears throat> my number four... And again, I was deciding which way to go with this. I'm going to bring in back something from 1986. I was in a mall, and I was walking to the bookstore. Uh, I was in New York at the time visiting my cousins uh, from Florida because I was already moved down here. And I was looking for post-apocalyptic books in the bookstore, like I often did in the 80s. And I came across a little uh, book called Pilgrimage to Hell, Deathlands. Okay, now. I'm not going to go with the whole the whole series as a as the cover. I'm going with just specifically Pilgrimage to Hell, the first book in the series. Okay, because as we know, and we know my opinion about how after James Axler had uh, passed away and other people started ghostwriting for it, it went to the fucking shitter. In my opinion, now I know uh, you know Clint knows Chris Van Dielen will, will disagree with me on that because he knows the guy who wrote a lot of those stories. Um, not as not as good, and he purposely kind of drove it into the ground too to kind of get out of it to do his own series, which is mm -hmm. fine. That's that's his choice. But Deathlands, Pilgrimage to Hell, post-apocalyptic uh, story uh, takes you know happens right around the late '80s. There is a bomb that goes off in Washington and starts this chain reaction. The book takes place a hundred years later. Now, why I like this book was there's just enough. Of the of the weird and unusual in it, to make it to where you know, whereas like you know, Hyro's journey is like telepaths and mutants and all over the place. Whereas Deathlands has that kind of stuff, but it's not. Well, I mean, you had Stickies and you had uh, Scalies, but they were just more like they just seemed more like you know, uh, you're just radiationally burned mutants. 
you know, there was, there was some telepathy, but just the book is like this group of people with the traders. This guy had these war wagons. They were all grouped together. They drove around the country ravaging, you know, cities they could find. They could dig up a spot, re readouts, just get, dig up all this ancient junk to trade to people. So he would drive around doing that. And they picked up other characters along the way, Ryan Cowder. I mean, the book started off great because uh, it didn't turn into, you know, after it just turned into this ser serialized, just regurgitating of the same fucking thing over and over. In a lot of ways, it's the same book over and over again. Yeah, but the first, but the first one started all was fan fucking tastic because it, it was kind of like a gam, it's like a light gamma world campaign as far as I'm concerned, or something like you could play with like aftermath, like like there's just enough of the unusual but not totally over the top. You know, there's like these readouts, these technologies, there's like these matter transmitter units, so. Very cool. It, it would be the light Game World campaign I'd want to play. You know. Now, a question for you: um, Does the redoubts and the matter transmit? Does that show up in um, uh, the, first, the first book? In the first book, okay. I couldn't tell. I remember if it was the first book or if it was Red Holocaust, which is the. Oh no! That, well, that was their first jump, but uh, okay. Towards the end of the book, they they because they find Doc, they find in one of these characters who's a man from the past. So it's got all these really cool things about. It. They fight. They fight uh, the this mist, you know. So it's again, it's got some unusual stuff. They get there's these high tech ra uh, uh, installations where they have these matter transmitters, and they can jump throughout the country. It's just it's a plot device to kind of get them around the country. But it works, and it slowly reveals, you know, more and more of the mystery of why. Oh, hell, it gets it, them around the world. One of my favorites is. Um, and and, uh, and uh, spoiler alert, it gets them off world too. Um, okay. What, but it's it's a, it is a plot. But they slowly, they only give little bits out of the mystery. You know, like who are the scientists? What is Project Seraphis? What is Project Over Overlord? You know, what is all what is going on? But they don't still you know throw it out there. They just give you little bits at a time. And the problem happened was towards the end they just started just dumping the shit out there. Different people were writing it, so somebody would pick up a cool idea and then nobody would ever pick it up again. And then, unfortunately, when they came out with Outlanders, they just go, okay, here's the answer to everything. Just fucking threw it out there. I'm like, oh, that fucking ruined everything. I, I, <laughs> I, I liked that there was a little bit of mystery to it. Like, well, why is it there? I, yeah, I, I well, didn't... once you're inside the redoubts and you're moving around inside the redoubts, you got the impression that whatever had happened to the world was connected with the redoubts. The war, the big death or whatever it was called was connected to whoever built the redoubts, whoever built the transmat system. You know what I mean? And it and it happened fast and it happened unknowingly because they're all empty. Like they like they didn't have a chance to use the fucking things. Yeah. You know? So uh, the again the first book in the series, Pilgrimage to Hell in my top five. Great book. Get you started. And the books do the series does go well for a while. I mean there's like like a hundred books now. But I'd say at least through the first couple of dozen, they're very good. You know, there there's some good stories, some good post-apocalyptic. Again, it's it's light on the uh, on the Wahoo, but there is a little Wahoo in there. You gotta have a little Wahoo in your apocalypse, but it's not it's not over the top. It's it's a very you know it's a good solid uh, book to start with. So that's my uh, that's my number four. It's originally Jack uh, Ahern Adderin, Adderin, which was the Again, it was just a pen name, but it was, there was written by. Uh, actually, no, it was written by somebody else. And James Axer picked it up. Who was, was a? That was a pen name for. I can't remember his real name now, but. Um, shame, shame. I know. 
It's uh, I gotta remember like a fucking sieve now, man. I could uh, certain things I remember, certain things I don't. So okay, more base explosions, base explosions, base explosions. Number number three. Boom. You're up, Clint. All right. Uh, I don't know if this actually qualifies because technically it's not a post-apocalypse; it's an apocalypse. But I think it's so iconic uh, and so good. Uh, that it it has to be in here to be discussed, and that's War of the Worlds. Uh, Ooh. That's not uh, a terrible idea. That's a really good idea. There's just it, it just I don't know if there would be a post-apocalyptic genre if H.G. Wells had not written War of the Worlds. Uh, it's just that that iconic, uh, and so many of the the tropes that are that are in. Uh, that are entrenched in post-apocalypse, you find them in War of the Worlds. And so I think it's it deserves to be in there. So uh, it's got the desperation, it's got the, the, the loss, personal loss and national loss and, and loss of world. Um, and the only thing that, uh, that keeps it from being post-apocalypse, of course, is the common cold, and everybody knows that. But, yeah. uh, um, but it's still just... Too fantastic to ignore in the current circumstance. So, that's me being defensive. Oh no no no! I I, I you don't get the what's his name? Derek Gerald doesn't get to do his Couture stuff, his Alien yeah. Apocalypse. Um, you know, uh, uh, who's it? Who's it? NBC TNT doesn't get to do Falling Skies. Yeah. Um, without H. G. Wells going there first. Yeah, there's, like said, there's just so many things that uh, if the post-apocalypse genre had evolved. In its absence, I think it would have been fundamentally different. Hell, I don't think we get tripods. Tripods yeah. always felt like the war of the worlds, generations on. You know, living under the Martian actually, in a lot of ways, is the same story. So what? What is? Day of the Triffids, in a lot of ways, is the same story. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you pare it down to the essentials, so. So that's me. That's very cool. I, I I'll, I'll I'll give that the thumbs up. Um, now we're in we're in dangerous territory, I think, for Jared and I because we're in danger of stepping on all the same books because also, there are. Also, I wanted to just make one of the one of our viewers. Uh, I think it's uh, shit. Who is it? I can't remember his real name. I think it's uh, God. He's a kill. I can't. He's one of our. He's a, watches the show a lot. Comments a lot. He did a comment that Deathland needs a good movie that is not that shit uh, one that Sci-Fi Channel made. I agree 100%. We yeah. talked about that shit of uh, one that Sci-Fi Channel made. It would it would make it would make a good series. You know that would be something that would be good for TNT, somebody like that to put a good. Yes, series. they they just need to go out and rent the goddamn Landmaster off of whoever owns it, you know, <laughs> re repaint it a little bit and start shooting. You know, that so, would work. So yes, he just made that comment. I wanted to just acknowledge that. Yes, we agree. So, all right. So now, like Scott said, yeah, dangerous territory. I'm sure we're going to see some overlap coming up real yeah. soon. I would yeah. think. Now the problem is, but the one I'm going to go with for my number three is my favorite far future uh, apocalypse. Um, you know, uh, there's a number. Uh, Jared's got a number of books that he's pointed out to me, like Hero's Journey, um, uh, The Unrequited Hero. Um, there's a couple of uh, books called like um, Through Darkest America that sort of fall into that same category as very far future post-apocalypse. Now, the hero's journey stuff gets very fantasy world, you know, yeah. 
with its mutants and stuff. It starts to starts to look a little bit like Bakshi's Wizards at some point. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking over my shoulder at my bookshelf over here. Can you guys still hear me when I'm talking? Mm -hmm. All right, but um, and so there's things like through Darkest uh, uh, America, which is one that I was partial to, and it had a sequel, um, which I am not recalling. What was the one that you uh, pointed out to me, Jared? Uh, the one where the the Americans and the Russians are still fighting, but America is ruled by some uh, some sort of king-like president. The sun and the moon. Oh, and the, uh, oh, oh, oh the, the steel, the mist, and the blazing sun. Yeah, the steel, the mist, and the blazing sun. That's all super far future yeah. post-apocalyptic worlds where the world uh, that we know now is only a dimly remembered myth of, of the apocalyptic world. And my all-time favorite for that uh, is uh, Jack uh, Denevitz, uh, McDevitt, Jack McDevitt's Eternity Road. Hmm, I haven't got I haven't got to that one yet, but that's on my list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eternity Road, I think I'd throw it as as my favorite far future, very far future after the apocalypse. Um, it is also an apocalypse that takes place in our future, uh, which I kind of like. I've always been inundated by the idea that, much like Gamma World, the apocalypse has happened, but it happened a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now. I mean, that's right there with. Uh, uh, Fallout, the Fallout series, you know, that they've set the uh, apocalypse in a future itself so you can have all kinds of wacky things like artificial intelligence or maglev trains or things like that. And Eternity Road is essentially the idea that our civilization is gone, new civilization has grown up in the same basic area, and a group of explorers and academics are going on a quest following the old the old roads used to be, or the old freeway and highway system was. Well, they, they call they call um, them they call them the, the road makers. Yeah, that's what they call the ancients. You know, yep. I guess it's the ancients of Gat World. It's the the road makers, the road builders in um, Eternity Road, and they're following them, uh, following these roads north in an attempt to find a, essentially a um, a vault filled with the knowledge of the past that is sort of legendary, but on the way. They're having kind of a Marco Polo slash Lewis and Clark rediscovery of North America as they encounter uh, examples of the past and also examples of the new societies that have grown up uh, in, in the intro. Yeah, there's a... There's so a... I... Uh... Go ahead. No, I was just saying that there's... Um, uh, there are different tech levels and different societies that live separate from each other. I want to say one group they ran across had steam power. One group had figured out hot air hot air balloons or something. Another group, you know, uh, they came from an area around what Texarkana, the Missouri, the Missouri, the Missouri Mississippi area, yeah. uh -huh. which is you know uh, a big area, very populous, but not as technologically advanced as what they find in some areas of the northeast. Uh, certain areas are even more barbarous, like the pirate kingdoms of the Great Lakes yep. they run into. Um, and, of course, all these examples of the past and dangers from the past I was very impressed with. Oh, yeah. No. yeah I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more, too, because I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it, too, even, you know, when I'm going to get to that. But there, there's some okay. really, so really cool shit. I will stop talking about the the uh, the, the, the book now, because Jared can finish up with it. He's going to touch on it again. So that's, that's my number four. Uh, three. Or oh, did I 
three. That's three. Yeah, three. Three, three. Right. That's three. Sorry, yeah. It's Triffid's it's Triffid's uh, Babylon and Eternity Road. All right, my number three is by uh, again another one of those authors like uh, 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 John Christopher, who did multiple books on the genre. Andrea Nort. Okay. Now it's by Andrea Nort, and it's not the one you're thinking. I know you're probably thinking I'm going to say Daybreak uh, 2150 or uh, Starman's Son. Nope, not talking about that one. Yeah, they wrote another book called No Night Without Stars. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're familiar, you're familiar with that one, Clint? Yep. No Night Without Stars. I, I only read this book recently, like in the last like year or two, just, just discovered it. Great. It is a great book. It is, again, one of these Gamma World-esque type uh, uh, books because uh, it's set in the very far future. Though it's not all full of mutants and crazy people, but there's like basically barbarous societies, nomads, you know, fishing villages, and uh, there's this one uh, guy in it who is trying to find the you know these uh, areas of the ancients. They know there's ancient technology. They know there's stuff waiting for them. But he's been a he's been of a uh, blasphemer, you know, talking like that. He's a bit of a heretic, so he kind of you know goes out to try to, to try to find these things that are out there. Uh, these ancient technologies, uh, the, you know, because again, this is set hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the future, so there's not much left. You know, there's some ancient ruins, uh, but it's it's Gamma World in the respect that you know he finds this other person. There is some, you know, there is a little bit telepathy, some mutant power, some empathy, but not crazy. But they do find basically a cybernetic installation in this book, and the cybernetic installation. Uh, is basically what you think would happen to a cybernetic installation who's been all by itself for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. Okay, so it's it's again very cool because they have the primitive society that you would start off with in a game world campaign and finding technology, finding the cybernetic installation. So I think that's a real because again it felt very game world to me. So you kind of notice a theme here, but. Uh, that is a good book. It's uh, I, that's a book I don't have a physical copy of because I found it as a is an e, as an ebook. Uh, I don't I haven't seen a physical copy of it, but uh, that's another one I recommend. So no no night without stars by Andrew Nort. Again, very Gamma World esque in its writing and its setting, which again I favor. Uh, that would be my number three. I think I read that uh, when I was in my early twenties. Uh, and it's, uh, it's oh, so, so, so you read you read that a long time ago then yes, huh? a good long time ago uh, when you were like I don't know if you were even born then Jared uh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah 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 I'm the, uh, I I am the young one here aren't I you've been, you've been spanked by your elders you just look old I know yeah exactly you know I, I'm I'm the I'm the ba- I'm 45 and I'm the baby here okay that's yeah. sad okay. What I was going to say, though, is that I'm glad you recapped No Night Without Stars because I was sitting there going, nodding along, smiling, because I went, yeah, I love that book, and damned if I could remember one effing thing about it. So <laughs> I need to find the Kindle version and read that again because uh, it has been a long, long time. Uh, so yeah, I, just, again, I just read that in the last like uh, year, year and a half. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what happened to my physical copy, but we've moved three or four times since then, so there's no way I have the book anymore. Yeah, I want to try to track that actual physical copy, because 
Anyway, I'm not big on keeping big shelves of dust collecting books anymore like I used to. Like I've gotten rid of shelves and shelves of books. But when it comes to when it comes to my post apocalyptic books though, those I like to have physical copies of whatever I can. Mm-hmm. Yep. So number two. Two, two. Explosion, explosion, two, two, two. <laughs> well, as you know, you you stole my fire with uh, 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 so I'd like to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, uh, please. Just because I read it, I think uh, either the year it came out or the year after it came out when I was 14, something like that, and it was probably among the first six, five or six uh, science fiction fantasy, and I think it was probably the second post-apocalyptic book that I'd ever read, and uh, it it totally opened my eyes to the fact that Canada could exist in science fiction. It was like, you know, people talk about Star Trek and people of color got to have a future because Uhura was in, in Star Trek, and it hadn't occurred to me until I read Hero's Journey that Canada could exist in the future. Uh, <laughs> until then, it was all watching, like... Uh, movies and shit from from the U.S. So uh, well, well, the fact that Canada can exist in the future is definitely science fiction. Oh, <laughs> no! sorry, well, we're already in the future. So uh, there you go. Um, but I, I love the idea that you you could have a Métis hero uh, because the Métis uh, locally, the Métis are uh, and Indigenous peoples generally are not. Uh, as re- given as much respect as they ought to be, uh, as they ought to get, and so I thought it was great that in the future you could have uh, uh, a really cool Métis hero who was aware of uh, of his heritage and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed the at that time at least the the fantasy aspect of it. I I liked the idea of the the telepathic critters and uh, and the lead the lemutes uh, from Lethal Mutations and yep. that kind of yep. so. Uh, it really it worked for me at the time, and I just picked up another uh, an electronic copy, and I'm rereading it, and I'm still liking it. So, oh yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great book, and like you said, you know the indigenous folks, it's it's like that in Canada is just like here in America, how the indigenous people, these dirty Indians, like like what do they want from us? Like, well, they want their fucking country because we came in because <laughs> we came in and with bigger guns and conquered them. You know, well so, let's not forget that I always love the idea of the dirty Indians. You remember which group came in loaded with horrible diseases? You know, uh, yeah. it wasn't like the pilgrims showed up and the, the Indians sneezed on them and they all fell over dead. It was, you know, kind of the other way around. Yep. Um, again, what was the thing? Undocumented were undocumented immigrants who refused to learn the uh, local language and yet they still get food assistance. <laughs> That's pretty much the pilgrims. So uh, my number two, uh, Jared's number five, my number two. So okay, but uh, that's cool that we had a little crossover there. So yep. Scott, you're number two. All right, um, this is a tough one. Um, I'm gonna have to go. Uh, do, did we agree that we were gonna have kind of a special shout out for an oddball at the end of this? Yes. Okay, because in that case, I think I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, my, I'm gonna have to go with David Brins, the postman. You'll notice that I'm covering Kevin Costner's face because, unfortunately, the only copy I currently have is one that has the, the crappy movie poster on it. But, uh, yeah, David Brin's The Postman, uh, which started off as, like, two novellas and then became sort of linked together. Um, it is one of my all-time favorite uh, 
definitely one of my all-time favorite post-apocalyptic novels. Uh, not the least of which because of the literary uh, the literary thing they did where they turned survivalist porn on its head. Yes. There's so much, so much uh, post-apocalypse stuff I've read right up till now. Like The Survivalist. Like um, uh, Deathlands. Uh, like, uh, what was that one? Survival 2000, which is another one you, you got for me, Jared. Thank you very well, much. Well, so again, Survival 2000 was also done by James Axler. It's yeah. It's a three-part three uh, little story. Gun porn, gun porn, gun porn from, like, the first fucking page. Yeah, exactly. Um, and... Uh, you know, this whole idea that if you are a survivalist, uh, you are... And, and, oh, oh, and the blank in the ashes stories. You know, all that danger in the ashes, uh, terror in the ashes, blank, you know, revenge in the ashes. All those... Was his name Johnstone? Uh, all those... Yeah. Ashes in the ashes. The ashes in the ashes. Yeah, all those stories where if you are a survivalist and have spent... 25 to 30 percent of your income, uh, stocking your house with survival supplies, and uh, training in Krav Maga, and reading the essays, you are morally superior to the rest of your neighbors who uh, spend their money on orthodontia for their kids, and possibly a trust fund to get them to go to college or whatever, or pay your house note, or repair the holes in the roof or whatever, uh, or buy a nicer car or a cooler stereo system. You are now morally superior to these people. And what Bryn did was take that kind of people who aren't just preparing for the end, but dreaming of it. They're the frustrated. Um, uh, if you ever read Eric Hoffer's The True Believer uh, about how mass movements start, one of the types of people he talks about is the so-called the frustrated, the people who are so unhappy with the world the way it is now, they would rather live uh, in a fantasy world of the way it could be, whether you are hoping for the uh, rapture, uh, or you are hoping for an apocalypse so that, you know, all those bigwigs who uh, have more than you will be laid low and you will not be the king of the new world. That creepy mindset that you find every time you go to a gun show um, was turned on its head in the postman, and those guys were the, those guys were the problem. Those guys are not the savior of civilization because they are the enemies of civilization. That moment right there really got me. I really, I really liked that turn of the genre. And that's what always sold me on The Postman, almost more than anything else. Very good. Yeah, true. No, it's all true. Yeah, like you have all those, like you said, Survivalists, The Ashes, isn't it CADS, uh, Endworld, you know, there's, oh, there's so much garbage series out there. So, all right, so that's uh, Scott... Uh, for myself, that uh, I discounted the idea of of picking up the book after the movie came out, uh, and I probably should not have done that. I oh, 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 uh, oh no! That book is very different than the movie. We, we yeah. gotta we gotta point out to you that that the yeah yeah we gotta point out to you that uh, they kept the title, and they kept the job that uh, he does at the beginning of the book, going from town to town, putting on plays and things for, like, a minstrel. Um, they kept the part about, yes, he starts doing the post thing, but uh, and they, they kept the name of the bad guys, but they threw the rest of it out the window. Um, yeah. uh, it, is, it is absolutely worth your time. I think you will, you will chew a hole right through that book if you pick it up. I, I, okay. I highly recommend it. It's, uh, 
Well, there, well, there's two problems with that book, with the movie. Uh, number one being Kevin Costner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number two, number two, it's three fucking hours. Yeah. Yeah, and in three hours, you think they could have done every single thing that happened in the book, but they do about what twenty five percent? Oh, I'd say maybe fifteen, but uh, yeah. but it uh, yeah, anyway. So it's uh, Postman uh, Scott's number two. My, my number, my deuce, my number two. Uh, <laughs> I wish I'm surprised I haven't seen on Scott's list yet, and it may be his number one. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Is a little book by a gentleman named Larry Niven, Lucifer's Hammer. Ah, uh, I can smell the old again. This is my old. <laughs> I guess this is my copy from the '80s. Lucifer's Hammer. Um, excellent book. It is a during the apocalypse book, like the apocalypse, you know, pre it happens and what's going on afterwards. Uh, there is a giant comet in the solar system that's coming through, and it's supposed to pass by Earth, but it doesn't quite do that. It, it hits Earth, and they call it Luth. They call the they call the comet Lucifer's hammer. Uh, everybody thought it wasn't going to uh, hit us, but it did. Uh, I just remember them like looking. For the story, like looking through telescopes, seeing chunks of the asteroid uh, of the comet being the size of mountains, you know, that it was just this monstrosity of a comet that Earth passed through, and just it hit enough, it hit enough spots in the ocean to create, you know, uh, tsunamis and giant floods and raise the level of the water in the Earth. So it was this total post-apocalyptic uh, novel, and it takes place, you know, the before, during, and after. Uh, it's been a while since I read it, so you know, Scott could always chime in if I'm getting something wrong. Um, you know, the protagonist was, he was a, was it, he was a, yeah, he was a, like, a, wasn't he like a reporter or something, or no, he's a, there was the a first, scientist, and then there's a reporter. Yeah, we follow a bunch of characters. It's an ensemble, giant disaster movie plot. Yeah. You know, lots of different characters to follow. You even follow the bad guys. You even follow and see how they become bad guys. Yeah, so it covers everybody. Uh, you know, the one scientist guy is really smart. One of my one of my favorite lines, which comes from this book, is uh, tells you uh, what a proper piece of beef jerky is. Okay, a uh, proper piece of beef jerky is something that you could uh, sharpen the end. You could file the end to a point and kill a man with it. That <laughs> that that's good beef jerky. So uh, yeah, the the book follows you know all these different uh, all these different you know plot lines. You know uh, a lot of main characters, the bad guys, there's a lot of flooding. And you know, they start. People start to group together for survival. And there's these bad guys roaming through the countryside, and they're you know it comes to a head with a large battle. So again, it is very you know disaster movie kind of ensemble. But it's a very good book. It covers a lot of things, a lot of interesting things, a lot of things to think about. Especially if the scientist is very smart, and a lot of the things he talks about in an apocalyptic situation. Oh, I should do this. I should do this. I should do this. You know, and it deals with all the things I got to deal with just for survival during this initial period. It's really, a lot of it's kind of like it's still happening, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of rain because of the, the water that got thrown up and, uh, you know, what people are doing to survive. Uh, I won't reveal too much about it, but it's, 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 it's I mean, it's, uh, this came out, this, when did this come out? This came out like in the 70s. 77, I just looked it up. Yeah, and like I said, my copy's falling apart here because uh, I've read it a couple of times. But it's uh, definitely worth your read. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty, was uh 
it's like about 650 pages, so it's a, it's a size, it's a decent sized novel, and uh, it's definitely worth your time. Very interesting, very during the apocalypse. Uh, so it's one of the, most of my stuff is kind of after the apocalypse, but this one's during during the apocalypse, which I really like because you see what's happening, how they're dealing with it, uh, and everything that they do. Like I said, um, it covers one of the one of the tropes that they always do in post-apocalyptic scenarios, I'll let you guys figure out, we've talked about it a thousand times, how they always talk about it in movies, is addressed in here, but it's an interesting way they deal with it, or they talk about it, like why they do it, you know? So, uh, number two, Looser's Hammer by uh, Larry Niven. Cool. So now we are, drum roll please, explosions, uh... Down to our number ones. Now to our number ones. I think, uh, wait, where's We would have a recap at this point where we'd go through number five, doo, 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 number four, doo, 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 to, to have you a You just have to drag that yeah, shit out. Come back from the commercial break, right? So. Yeah. Uh, we don't, we're not going to drag it out because uh, we're, we're, we're hitting on an hour, so I like, want to try to uh, keep going. So we've talked about our top, top four. We've talked about four of our top five post-apocalyptic books short stories and novellas. We are going to now be talking about, after this commercial break, our number one post-apocalyptic book. You're Click really, to you. You're a little good, a little too good at that to make me feel completely comfortable. Thank I God know. you're, thank God there's a continent between us. So, Clint, what is your, what is your numero uno? Well, uh, uh, this is sort of a, a personal favorite for me. Um, because I read this book, it wasn't brand new when I read it, but I read it in 1971. Uh, when I was a kid, and it was the very first book that I would that I can think of that was what you I guess what now you would call a genre book. Uh, prior to that, I had been reading primarily like hockey fiction and shit like that as a ten year old. Uh, I'm gonna uh, wait hockey, a minute. Wait, hockey fiction. Hockey wow. Fiction. Yeah. You know. Is that what they have in Canada? It's like hockey mooses and poutine. That is that's the fiction. Well, I mean, very rarely. Can someone write those with all of those things together in one book and not make it sound bad? You know, but but when you can put hockey, mooses, and poutine in the same book, that's that's cool. Wow. All right. Got Canadian. it. But this doesn't this book doesn't have any of those things. This is, as Jared alluded to earlier, this is Daybreak 2250 AD. Uh, it's which is how I knew it anyway. Uh, Starman's son is how it was, I think, originally published. Um, I think it uh, came out in 1952 or 53 or something like that. So it's not wasn't a brand new book when uh, when I read it, but uh, uh, it was the the sort of a life changing book for me because I'd never heard of science fiction before uh, or fantasy books before, and I thought it was wicked cool. And of course, it's very gamma world, and there's telepathic giant Siamese cats and bestial-headed mutants and all of that good stuff. Um, so, you know. What's not the like? Well, that's what I thought. So. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, let's see. I guess we're on to my number one. Uh, Jared oh, Arnie. Let's see. Jared. Uh, I'm trying to pull up here for Starman's son. Uh... First published in 1952, Starman's Son was published. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Cool. Um, Lucifer, I'm going to go with my number one is Lucifer's Hammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew that was going to be your number one. I just knew it. 
Um, it it hits. It does the apocalypse right on so many levels. Yeah. Uh, because it shows you the world before. It shows you the world, what's going on during, and then afterwards it does this thing where it really contracts the vision down to the personal level. There's this, there's this great part in the, um, uh, there's so many extremely well-written, compelling parts of it, but uh, there's this one thing that they do during the Hammerfall uh, where you get all of these horrifying vignettes of uh, what's happening. Um, uh, there's the police officer who goes down to the uh, L.A. County Jail to kill the serial killer. There's a guy who's murdered some girl because, well, if the, if the comet's coming, it doesn't matter what I do, so I might as well kill her, you know, and, and rape her. Uh, he's down in the jail cells, and the cop goes down there to murder him just because he can't take the chance that somebody like that might survive. Hmm. You know, it's like the, the tidal waves are coming towards L.A. Maybe you'll be drowned. Maybe you won't. But I gotta make sure that no matter what, you don't walk away from this. And the mission to go down there and kill him with the shotgun actually means that that guy—I don't think you, ever, you don't ever hear from that cop again in the story. I don't think he gets out of the L.A. base in time. But he's gotta make sure that this guy does not get out. Uh, there's that thing with the the surfers. Yep. Oh who, yeah. Who who decided to catch the last great wave? That's gonna that's gonna go all the way to downtown Los Angeles. You know? <laughs> um. Uh, that's horrifying. But then they pull back, and you get these weird little vignettes in in uh, that sort of happen in um, uh, you know uh, uh, italics, where it says uh, you know suddenly you get a description like cubic miles of water have been vaporized, and the rain clouds encircle the earth. Cold fronts form along the base of the Himalaya massif, massif, and rainstorms sweep through the southeastern India, northern Burma, and Chinese Yunnan and Sichuan provinces. And it describes the effects of the hammer strike. And it goes around, and there's, like, descriptions of, you know, the, the seas are receding from England. Like, England just goes underwater, except for the Scottish Highlands and some hill country in Wales. And you get this very God's-eye view uh, during the, the hammer fall and just after. And one of the things that really gets that, uh, gets me for that is it is once... The, the hammer has passed. You don't really get those vignettes, those worldview vignettes anymore. It's just down to surviving in your five square feet of problem. Well, yeah, because they were setting the stage to let you know this is what happened to the world. Now yeah. we're going to tell you. Now we're going to tell you some stories about individuals. Yeah, but you get well, here's the here is the description that is certainly a little bit apropos to the current situation in the area it describes, as they're describing. Tidal waves in the Mediterranean, or it's not so bad in the Mediterranean because Gibraltar holds off most of the tsunamis. Oh, yeah, 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 I forgot about that. But uh, they get this one paragraph. Further to the east, the Palestinians and the Israelis suddenly realize there are no great powers capable of intervening. This time, the war will go to a conclusion. The remnants of Israel, Jordan, Syria, and Saudi Arabia are on the march. There are no jet planes and little fuel for tanks. There will be no ammunition resupply, and the war will not end until it is fought with knives. That pretty much sums that area of the world up for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was one of the most cold, cold chilling things in the, in the whole thing, is one paragraph. 
And all I can think is, well, thank goodness our heroes were in, you know, southern Washington, northern Oregon, not, you know, in Jeddah or Jaffa or, uh, you know, uh, or Jericho or any place in the Holy Land. Um, yeah, Lucifer's Hammer is a apocalypse that does not depend on politics in that it's not the Dirty Reds nuked us or America is such a warmongering country that we started the war first. There's none of that sort of mm, 80s vintage political, you know, this is your fault, this is going to be their fault or it's our fault. Uh, this is literally a galactic road accident. And uh, it's, it's uh, so there's it's nobody's fault, but, you know, it, the, the disaster does strip away the veneer of civilization and uh, people begin acting very badly in the wake of it. Um, uh, Lucifer's Hammer is one of my all-time favorites. And that ensemble cast and all the different viewpoints, it really reminds me very much of what Stephen King did later in um, The Stand. Yep. Okay? Where you get this huge ensemble of characters and perspectives to see the apocalypse. And uh, I would almost have put The Stand in here, but Lucifer's Hammer bumps it out every time. Because... Firstest, it's there. Jerry Purnell and Larry Niven are there firstest with the mostest. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. Because as a, I, I, re I rarely reread books, uh, but this is one of the books I've actually reread re a couple times. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now my my number one book in Scott it was on Scott's list. It was it three or four? Uh, Trinity Road. Eternity Road. Yes. So Eternity Road is my number one. I, again, this is a, a uh, like I said, a recent uh, novel uh, for the apocalypse, which I liked. Uh, I'm trying to see, I'm looking here. It was published in uh, well, it's not that recent, but it was uh, published in '97. So I, when I read it at the time in the late '90s, it was a because everything we've read here is like '70s, '60s, '50s. Everything's very old. So this came out in the late '90s. And I was like, oh. A new apocalyptic novel. Okay, let me check this out. Again, Eternity Road, uh, again, Far Future. And so we talked about a lot of it already was. You know, we have these different pockets of civilization. And they call the ancients the roadmakers because out of, out of everything that survived in the apocalypse, the roads were still there to some extent. That, that was their legacy, the roads. They called them the roadmakers because, like, well, they make these roads. So they follow the roads. You know, they're in the Mississippi. That's there's a lot of trade up and down the river. That's their their main uh, bit of travel. And like you said, it's a, it's an exploration because there's this guy who's trying to find uh, this ancient vault of of knowledge so they could advance themselves uh, even further. Uh, he comes back with a message, and then they go out uh, to finish uh, the journey from his uncle or something like that. I think it was his uncle. Uh, he, yeah, the guy comes back and dies, and all he leaves is his partial his journal. His journal. And the journal's fascinating because a lot of the things that they describe, like, he, like, would sketch it and they describe it. Oh, you, it's a this, 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 that, and the other. And you're like, okay. And then when they counter, it's like, oh, that's so fucking cool. Okay. It's cool to the way that they take it from a, a view of not knowing what it is. And how would somebody who not knows what it is describe it? So they, a, they do a very good job with that, I think, in, the, in this book. There's a, um, a Call of Cthulhu scenario. I want to just throw this out. That's uh, from their Strange Aeons collection, Strange Aeons 2, I'll travel, 
hold up the product for anyone who wants to find Strange Aeons too. And it's uh, you know it's called Cthulhu Scenario set in different time periods. But David Manna, who is a Italian paleontologist, or, or uh, wrote a story called Cursed Be the City, which takes place in Neanderthal times. And half the fun of the scenario is that you're Neanderthals and you're encountering a pre-human civilization with cities and buildings and things. So how do you describe a building to a guy who lives in a cave? <laughs> you know? And that's what that that magic is definitely what happens. Oh yeah. Eternity Road. Just trying to describe high tech devices to guys who yeah. are like in the seventeen hundreds level of technology? Uh maybe. Yeah, you know, yeah. They, they, they got farming and water and stuff like that. And we won't reveal any of those, what's in here, but okay. they, they, they encounter these things, they encounter some technology, which is interesting. And uh, there's, oh, I don't want to spoil it, but there's the, it's this one little, it's like a paragraph in the story. Because uh, they, they show things like airfields, okay, and just the jets, there's rows of jets, you know, how they're just abandoned there. A lot of high technology, uh, uh, radar stations, you know, like satellite dishes, like giant satellite dishes, because, I don't know, to me, there's nothing says the, uh, the ruins of civilization than a giant, just decaying satellite dish, because this is, you know... Oh, oh, you mean like an Arecibo deep yeah. space antenna? Giant yeah. antennas, yeah. Uh, there was actually some uh, st uh, uh, stations like that up in Maryland, but they've already they've been uh, torn down. I didn't get a chance to get there and check them out, but... Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of that in the story. There's a really cool thing dealing with, uh, uh, I'll just hint at it, dealing with uh, satellite dishes. So it's a really cool thing. It's, I love that part of the story. So it's just neat how the things they encounter. It's just, it's just a really good book because it's a little more modern. It's not written, you know, it's not, again, it doesn't have, it's not, doesn't have to really have anything to do with the Cold War or anything like that, like those, those 80s books we read. Uh, and they don't really describe it, but it's just it's a good adventure just the way they describe things, and, and the end result, what you know, the payoff. It's it's, it's a very it's a very cool story. So, Eternity Road, uh, readily available. That is that is my number uh, one pick. Now, uh, what we wanted to do this last thing we'll go we're going to go through this quick is uh, we talked about maybe throwing an oddball story or an honorable mention. Uh, do you have a story, uh, Clint? Uh, that might be like an oddball one that somebody might not know, kind of obscure, or just something that you think it should get an honorable mention because it didn't quite make your top five, but it's something you, you like as well. Well, yeah, uh, I, I actually was going to throw the stand on my list, uh, but uh, I decided that it was not really post-apocalyptic, and so I was thought I was already pushing the, the envelope with War of the Worlds being sort of a, a, a during uh, so I I left the stand off, but I would uh, uh, I really enjoyed the stand. So that would be my uh, uh, my number six pick. Although I don't know if it's actually number six in my count. If you know. We'll call it honorable, honorable mention. We'll call it. Yes. For for Captain Trips alone, it should get honorable mention just for the best name <laughs> of a disease that wipes out civilization. Where they yeah. person they personalize the disease. King did a good job with that. Captain. Captain Trips becomes a character. In yeah. That. Yeah, but I, and I and I throw the Captain Trips out all the time. That that term when I'm not feeling well, I post. Oh, I think I got the Captain Trips or whatever. So, <laughs> but Scott, what's going to be your honorable mention? All right. 
There was a series edited by Jerry Purnell, the guy who brought us, one of the two guys who brought us Lucifer's Hammer. And its series was, was called There Will Be War. Oh, I vaguely remember that. All right, now this was from the 1980s. Uh, uh, of course. Of course it was. And it's all military sci-fi. 1989 is on this one. Now this is volume 8. And in beginning in volume 8, this series of stories started getting printed. And the last volume is, uh, let's see, sorry, 7, 8, and 9. Those are the three volumes I wanted. Uh, volume 9, I think, is the last one they ever did. This was uh, titled After Armageddon. Uh, 8 was Armageddon, and uh, uh, 7 was uh, Call to Battle. In the start of these, um, there was a, a, a story by a guy named Don Hawthorne. H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E, Don Hawthorne. He wrote a story called Iron Angel, and it was continued in uh, the, the next book under, the, under a short, you know, the next book or a short story in this series was The Benefactors, and the last one in Armageddon was called The Contract. All three of them follow the same world and the same group of characters. It is set in a world of the shambles of World War III. The Soviet Union apparently, and it's set amongst Soviet characters. The main characters are combat engineers in the Red Army, and uh, they're uh, they have been they are really on the losing end of something called the Global War for Liberation, the basic Soviet attack on everything, which has gone very badly for the Soviet Union. Um, they, there's descriptions that, that there's a huge alliance of states that has fought the Soviet Union. Uh, and once they got into the USSR, and there was battles in Moscow as well. They got as far as Moscow. Um, the Soviets have released something called the gas bug. It's the first time I ran into this in science fiction. It's a, it's, it's a bacteria that was designed to eat crude oil and clean up oil spills. The Soviets have modified it to devour petroleum, including refined petroleum products. Or... Uh, it was designed to kill refined petroleum, but now it's altered and it's eating the petroleum out of the ground. It's actually getting into the ground and devouring petroleum. Um, there's all these things you have to do to preserve the petroleum, uh, but only the Soviets know how to do that. So they went from being on the ropes, about to fail completely, to suddenly all the armies that were attacking the Soviet Union are marooned. Hmm. And their home countries have fallen apart. And, you know, the whole world, the gas bug has gotten out, and anyone who's neutral is screwed, too, because the lights are off, all right? Um, you're down to just a coal-fired world. And um, uh, the, uh, it's just a really fascinating story. Um, your, your main characters are, uh, again, I the main characters are Russians. They're on board a train, the Iron Angel that they hijack, and they tool around Russia on this... this uh, train track going from one post-apocalypse area of Russia to another, basically fighting the KGB and trying to bring some justice and order to the post-apocalyptic Russian environment. It's fucking amazing, and I can't find Don Hawthorne anywhere. I've looked him, I've done web searches for him, I've tried to find him on Amazon, The Don Hawthorne is nowhere to be found. So if you're out there, Don, fucking write more of these, because they're goddamn amazing. Cool. 
So that was quite an honorable mention, Scott. Uh, it's so but, fucking good, but no one um, will ever find it, so it's not in my top five. My honorable mention, I was going to make my top five, but I didn't include it, was a book by Luke Reinhardt, Long Voyage Back. Yep. Uh, again, written in the written in the eighties, it was a. Dur uh, yep, there's a hardback that I think I got you. Yes, uh, you did. Because that was the only copy I could find. I couldn't find a fucking softback anywhere. <laughs> I can only I can only find the hardback. Um, where is it? Totally, where is it? Uh, Long voyage back, Luke Reinhardt. It uh, takes place starts off in the, Ch uh, the Chesapeake Bay area, uh, before this is another before, during, and after of the apocalypse. It's about these group of uh, group of friends. Group, group of people who get together, the war starts, uh, I think it's a limited nuclear exchange, and they get on a boat, they get on a catamaran, and they sail out of the Chesapeake Bay, and the story takes place in this boat the entire time, and it's them traveling, uh, yeah, see, it's got like a map of Maryland on the inside, let's see here, you know, it tells you where they're going, it's them sailing out, out of the bay, into the ocean, down the coast, down to the islands, down to around the Cape of Horn. It's all about their trying to survive and what they do to survive and, on, this, uh, on this boat journey the whole time. And uh, I, think, I, think it was very, I think it was a very good book because it's, a, you know, the trials and tribulations of, you know, because, again, it was limited exchange, but there's, so there's a lot of people left, and, you know, there's pirates, it's survival, it's trade, you know, uh, people trying to steal your boat. It's because uh, they, they went with the boat route because a, a lot of books don't do you know, let's go out in the water and survive, you know, and yeah. they do that, and I think they do a pretty, it's a really good book, I really do enjoy it, because uh, again, it's a during kind of scenario, like, how are you going to survive, and what's going to happen, and this, this thing slowly started to deteriorate, but again, uh, you also find pockets of people who get their shit together pretty quick, you know, especially in, you know, the islands, you know, places that weren't like, you know, super directly high, yeah, directly hit, or super high tech like the United States, you know, it's like, like you know, you know, our our system's fragile, going to fucking collapse in a second. Whereas these people's like, well, we didn't really have much of this system anyway. We we didn't have much to collapse, or, you know, in the first place. So, it's a long voyage back. Runehart, uh, Luke Reinhardt, uh, very very good book. It's you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a boat journey, on uh, surviving in a boat. The only other one that's even close to that, or surviving in a boat, uh, would be the last ship. I yeah. don't really I don't really count on the beaches as surviving in a boat. Necessarily, because there's, there's no surviving. Yeah. But uh, the last ship, supposedly a combination of a great sea story like Hawthorne or Conrad with post-apocalypse. I don't think it can hold a candle to the long voyage back. Yeah, definitely, uh, much much better, much better book. So, all right, folks, uh, we're gonna wrap this up here. Uh, that was our top five favorite post-apocalyptic books, short stories, novellas. Uh, so we got through our list here, and we already decided. I, I had another idea of what we're gonna do for next show, but um, Gonna, it's our 30th show. We gotta do Logan's Run. So yeah. that's what's gonna be. We're gonna do Logan's Run. Uh, when we're gonna do it? Let me look at the calendar here. Uh, next week is Gen Con, the 18th. We're not gonna be able to do it because I'm I'm not getting back to like uh, I got I got like a four o'clock flight, so I'm not getting into like 8:30 or something on, on Monday. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not uh, getting back until Tuesday morning. From oh, oh, you're doing a you got a red eye? I got a late flight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yay, we can have lunch. Um, so, uh, so we're not going to do it the 18th. You know, we're probably we're going to skip that week completely. We're not going to try to do it the next day because we're going to be recouping from uh, Gen Con. So we're going to do the next show in one three weeks instead of two weeks. We're going to do it on the 25th, 
And, right. and that'll give me time to uh, crack open the DVDs and watch the TV series a little bit. You You're going to have to get completely caught up on that. I'll, I'll go back and crack open all the other uh, Logan's novels, like Logan's World. And, and oh, yeah, please. You, okay, so your job is the novels. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slug through uh, the whole the TV series so I get caught up on that one. So, All right, okay. so, so folks, uh, episode 30, we're turning 30. Uh, we are, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. No, you know what? I'm going to save it for next show. Okay, I, got, I, I have something. But anyway, so Logan's Run, you know, it's time, to re, it's time to renew, 30th episode, Logan's Run. So I want to thank everybody for uh, watching us. Thank everybody for joining us. Thank you, Clint, for joining us and putting, again, a different, a different perspective than just me and Scott's freaking opinion. So it was good that we get some, <laughs> it was good to get some uh, different books out there, different stories. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Scott. Thank you, me. Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking myself. but uh, So that's it, folks. We are going to sign out. Uh, we'll see you in three weeks uh, for Logan's Run, Episode 30. Uh, thank you, and good night. Good night.